0: Welcome to Brett. Moses is one of the most famous, beloved, complicated, and fascinating characters in the Bible. God chooses him and uses him to do extraordinary and history-defining things. He's a flawed and broken person, but nevertheless, a truly great leader. In this series, we draw on his example to learn what real leadership looks like in God's kingdom. And how all of us, however we view ourselves, can grow, not just in our leadership, but more importantly, in our faith and maturity as God's disciples.
1: And we are wrapping up our series on Moses. If you haven't been here for, for a while, we are going through the life of Moses and particularly looking at his leadership and how we can learn um, what it is to be a leader. Um, And in this final talk, I want to talk about the subject of passing leadership on. Moses is succeeded, and he has a successor. Joshua is his name. And so we're going to look at this from two angles. Firstly, from the point of view of Moses, how do we be the sort of people who best release others into leadership? And then secondly, from the point of view of Joshua, how can we be the sort of people others want to release into leadership? How can we be the sorts of people that when the time comes, God is ready to call us and we will be ready to answer that call? The kingdom of God is at its core about people. God could have made himself known as a booming voice from the heavens dispensing moral lessons. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. He could have also written doctrinal statements There is one God only, and his name is Jesus. He could have written that in the sky if he'd wanted to. But instead, God made himself known as one of us. He became man and made his dwelling amongst us. Because God is relational, and his kingdom is about people. Because of this, it is in relationship. And really, I think only in relationship with him and with other people that anyone has any chance of growing. Jesus called disciples to be with him, to learn from him, to know him. And then he sent those disciples out, commanding them to make more disciples. So it's a person to people, to people, to people, to people. Do you know how many sermons I have heard in my life? Thousands, I think thousands. Do you know how many I remember? Three, I remember three sermons. Do you know how many Christian books I've read? I have a whole wall of Christian books on shelves at my house. Our kids are very embarrassed when kids come over to play with them and see all the Christian books. Couldn't you just have some books that don't say Jesus on them? I have lots and lots of Christian books. Do you know how many I remember anything from them? None. None at all. (laughs) But do you know what I'll never forget? Sitting in a pub in Oxford, listening to an older, wiser Christian guy tell me stories about all that he'd seen God do. I will also never forget uh, after giving my first sermon at church, the leader of the church sitting me down almost as soon as the service had finished, saying, That was brilliant. I always knew you could do it. Now, the talk wasn't brilliant, and I know it, and I knew it then, but in that moment, I knew someone who I looked up to and respected believed in me. And he said, Always be yourself. Better advice, something I've remembered more than a million trillion talks on how to give a good sermon. Because the kingdom of God is about people. And so to be a Christian, to be a member of that kingdom, is to take a keen interest in people. It is to look at others and think, what could you be? What is God calling you into? It's to look at others and think, how could I serve that person? How can I best help that person develop their gifts and influence the world for good? To be a Christian is to say to yourself, look at those people, I wonder how I could share myself, how I could share my experience, my learning, my understanding, so that they might be released into their God-given leadership. Now, not all of us, of course, are people people. Some of you are more introverted. And therefore, we're not going to be able to necessarily draw a whole crowd of hundreds of people to ourselves. But each of us, whoever we are in our own special way, is tasked with investing in people or a person or just someone, anyone, to connect with and to help see them thrive because the kingdom of God is people. And the vision of this church has always been that everyone gets to play. It's not really about what goes on here at stage on the stage. It's about everyone for everyone. So can I ask you as we end this series, who are you investing in? You may have been a Christian for all of five minutes. Well done. Congratulations. Great to have you with us. But it starts now. It does not matter. Even if you've been a Christian for only five minutes, God calls people to be influencers of other people. So you can start investing in people for the kingdom. You can point to people towards Jesus. Volunteer for Kids Church. Kids know nothing. So you know a little bit more than them. <laughs> Invest in them. Join a, sm- a super small group. Help with Serve the City. There are thousands of ways in which you can start influencing people towards Jesus. So question number one, who are you investing in? Question number two, who's investing in you? I want to challenge all of us. The goal for the next two months, can we do this? Be able to name at least one person you are investing in. And at least one other person who is not the same person who is regularly investing in you. And by investing, I mean not we um, talk about sports together and we uh, have a group chat about um, films that we've seen. I mean reading the Bible and praying with one another challenging each other, being accountable. Can I leave that challenge with us? you'll be amazed at how your Christian life comes alive. The reason I say all this is because this series on leadership is all very nice, and it's been a very good series. I think I've been particularly good. Uh, but, But it means nothing. It means nothing if actually things don't change for us, if we actually become the leaders God is calling us into. So can we take it seriously? We can listen to a thousand talks. But let us take seriously the kingdom of God and see how you grow. Can I just say, we did some volunteer clipboards just now. We did them last week. I am so impressed by how many people, how many people, particularly parents who have no time, put their names down. Do you have children, you people? No, you don't. Why did you not put your names down? Well done. Well done, parents. Shame on you. It's a joke. (laughs) So then, this morning, how to release others into leadership and how to be the sort of leader that can be released. We've moved on to the book of Numbers. Uh, The book of Exodus basically deals with Egypt to Mount Sinai, where we received God's law. Uh, And then Numbers uh, carries on the story post-Mount Sinai uh, with a bit more wandering in the desert until we get to the um, promised land. And this is going to be read by Anna. Uh, It's chapter 27, verse 12.
0: Then the Lord said to Moses, go up to this mountain in the Alvarim range and see the land that I have given the Israelites. After you have seen it, you too will be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, both you disobeyed my commands to honor me is holy before their eyes. These were the waters of Meribah and Kadesh in the desert of Zin. Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of the, your authority so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, He and the entire community of the Israelites will go out and at his command they will come in. Moses did as the Lord had commanded. He took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole assembly. And then he laid his hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses.
1: So firstly, from Moses' perspective, how does he release others, how do we release others into leadership? Firstly, know when it's time to get out the way. Verse 13, after you've seen it, you too will be gathered to your people, says God, as your brother Aaron was, and when the community rebelled at the waters, for when the community rebelled at the waters of the desert of Zin, both of you disobeyed my command to honor me as holy before their eyes. The reference here is to an earlier part of Moses' story. In Numbers chapter 20, the Israelites were without water in the desert, and they are blaming Moses for everything that possibly could ever have gone wrong for them in their lives. Anyone who's led a number of people may relate. God speaks to Moses and tells him, speak to a rock and then water will come gushing out of it. But in this instance, Moses does not do that. Clearly, he's had enough of the Israelites, and so rather than speak to the rock, he speaks to them and effectively says, you want water? Fine, I'll give you water. I'm in charge, and I'll give you water. And then he strikes the rock with his staff rather than speaking to it, and water comes gushing out. But all of this displeases God. It's not really that Moses hasn't done to the letter what God has asked him to do, but rather in not doing to the letter what God has asked him to do. The point is that Moses has, in speaking to the Israelites as he does and striking the rock in anger, has acted out of his own frustration. He has acted out of his pride. And he has put himself up as opposed to God in the position of ultimate authority over the Israelites. He said to the Israelites, I'm going to do this. I'm in charge. Stop grumbling. He's going to be their God now. And this is what displeases God. And Moses has, verse 14, failed to honor God as holy before the eyes of his people. And so it is on that day that God precludes Moses from being the one to lead his people into the promised land. Now, it's true that sometimes people need to be stepped down from leadership. God can do it directly, or he can ask his people to do it. But let's remember that whereas God can remove leadership from people, he will never ever remove his love, no matter how far they have fallen. But while sometimes uh, we are removed from leadership because of our sin, at other times we are removed just because it's now someone else's turn. And this is probably more pertinent to us and to the world that we live in. Uh, I know very little about the NFL, but I think there's a game on today. Is there a game on today? Yes, I think there's a game on today. Um, What I do know, though, is that the New England Patriots, which is my team, are the greatest Super Bowl champions of all time. I also know that Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback, or QB, as you say, of all time, and that Bill Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. I know all of these things, and I know that these are facts, and they should not ever be disputed. But it is also fair to say that both Tom Brady and Bill Belichick could be accused of possibly holding on a little too long. They couldn't retire when they should have retired, and it got a bit embarrassing. Great leadership knows when to step aside, to get out of the way and let the new generation through. And despite everything, despite the crushing disappointment of not being able to lead his people into the promised land, Moses, though, finishes very well. He is humble enough to step aside and let Joshua take his place. Moses said to the Lord, May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community, verse 17, to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in, so the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Great leadership, like Moses's, finishes well. Firstly, he puts the needs of the people before his own ego. They're like sheep, they need a shepherd. They are the ones that really matter. And he puts deference to God above any of his own needs, saying, may the Lord, may the Lord do it. Not may I or God, you should do this, but may the Lord, I trust you, is what he's saying. You're in control, you are God, not me. Moses has learned his lesson, and it means he finishes well, and it means that there is no horrible, terrible dysfunction between him handing over leadership to the next generation. So, releasing people into leadership requires knowing when to get out of the way, and secondly, it waits for God's timing. How easy would it have been for Moses to draw up a potential list of candidates or a list of potential candidates for his succession? Having come to terms with the fact that he was going to have to step away, it would have been entirely natural, would it not, for Moses to say to God, listen, I've been in this position for a long time. I understand it very well, better than anyone else. I know what it requires. I know the gifts that you'll need. I know the talents you'll need, the sort of character you'll need. Here is a list of my five preferred candidates. I really like number two, but go with whichever one you like. But he doesn't do anything of that. Instead, he waits on the Lord. May the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone. Because in God's kingdom, leaders do not appoint successors. In God's kingdom, God appoints successors. Consider the apostle Paul, who was called Saul. If left to the disciples to appoint an apostle to the Gentiles, there is no chance in hell they would have appointed Saul. Why? Because Saul was deeply, deeply unqualified for the job. Rather than making Christians, he was more into the old killing of Christians thing. When God tells Ananias to go and find Saul and pray for his sight to be restored and to be filled with the Spirit, this is what happens. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Paul goes on to be the single greatest Christian leader the world has ever seen. And how often do we see something similar throughout the Bible? Moses himself, weak in speech. No one's first choice. Gideon, the least of the least, no one's first choice. The shepherd boy, David, no one's first choice. Peter, the deserter, no one's first choice. None of these people would have sprung to mind if someone was saying, who could lead God's people? But all were appointed by God, and all were truly great leaders, because in God's kingdom, God appoints, and he knows what he's doing. So we wait on the Lord. This means the process by which we ever release new leaders is fundamentally a prayer process. Back to my questions at the start. Who are you investing in? The starting point, if you don't know yet, is spending time with God, asking him to show you. Ask him to bring people your way. Who is it? When we spend time in prayer, When we're close to God, we see the world and its people as God sees it. And all of a sudden, we may find ourselves spending time investing in people we never thought we would do. I know of um, one particular person who um, just loves Jesus, spends a lot of time praying, reading the Bible. And because of this person... He met someone completely randomly who he invited to church, became a Christian, uh, is just totally on fire for God, and they keep meeting up, investing. He's investing in this person. That happens because that person really takes the kingdom of God seriously, and he spends time with Jesus. And then when he sees someone, he invites him to church. It's very easy. Finally, releasing others into leadership means allowing new leaders to move beyond you. (laughs) Verse 20, the Lord says to Moses, give him some of your authority so the whole Israelite community will obey him. And then verse 22, Moses did as the Lord commanded. The kingdom of God is not about hoarding. We don't hoard power. We don't hoard gifting, we don't hoard money, and we do not hoard people. The kingdom of God is about giving everything away, just as God gives everything of himself to us. This means investing in people, knowing very well that they may well leave us to go on to other things. And in fact, many of them absolutely must. Now, of course, people um, leave churches for lots of different reasons, some healthy, some not. But the beauty of the kingdom of God is that it is an enormous, ever-expanding vision. And every member of God's kingdom, whether they stay or leave in a particular place or church, has the opportunity to be empowered to go out into the world to partner with God in his great universal expansion plan and one day we will be all reunited in heaven and it will be glorious but what we do not do is hoard people many of you will know um uh, Raoul and Annie stepped uh, off staff at the end of last year they were integral members of our team uh, we were only a staff team of seven at the time And I know that all of us were looking around at each other going, we are losing a third, a third, a whole third of our staff team. What on earth are we going to do? Help, basically. It is always a huge sadness when anyone leaves. And it's important for us to, uh, particularly those who are close, to Raoul and to Annie, to grieve and to honor them. But as a church, we never want to be a church that holds people back. We do not want to hoard people for ourselves and we must always resist the temptation to restrict anyone. So grieve with us, honor Raul and Annie, but also with us as we do, will you bless them? Bless them in all that God has for their future as we will do with all past and future departees. Moses allows Joshua to move beyond him. He endorses him and he is not threatened. Are you threatened by the younger generation with all their TikTok and stuff? (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear, says my wife. Are you threatened they might take your jobs? They might go beyond you? It's a serious question, and I know it's a very real issue for a lot of people. When we know God as Moses knows God, he is not threatened. Rather, he wants to do everything to see his successors succeed. Great leadership releases other people. But not only releases them, does everything it can to see them do as well as they possibly can. It's quite a thing, isn't it? It requires us knowing that God will be looking after us, whatever happens. So, that's Moses' perspective, releasing his successor. What about Joshua's? How can you be someone who, when God calls, is ready to go? Firstly, be good at what you do. This might seem a very obvious point. But you'd be surprised, especially, I think, in Christian circles, how often being good at what you do is actually overlooked. In order to lead something, you do actually need to be good at the thing you're leading. Why are you looking so sad? (laughs) If you want to win the Oscar for Best Director, you're going to need to be really, really good at directing films. You're going to need to have a vision and be able to manage a crew, and you're going to need to be able to inspire actors and get performances from dogs if you have dogs in your film. You're going to need to be excellent at cinematography, I think. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but in order to be a great director, you're going to need to be a great director. There is a church um, where, uh, it will remain nameless, but one of the sound texts. Um, was the nicest person you'll ever meet. He was the epitome of servant-heartedness. Nothing was too much for him. Always did everything with a smile on his face. He was wonderful. But whenever he was on sound, um, the sound was not great. And it was actually ear-splittingly loud at all times. And so people used to complain to the pastor at this church saying... When that guy's on sound, it's really loud and it's not very good. And the pastor said, ah, yes, well, that's because that sound tech is severely impaired in his hearing in both ears. But he's such a nice guy. No matter how faithful a person is, no matter how great their character, discerning God's appointment in leadership means that that person's skill set has to overlap with the job they're tasked to do. If you're going to be an Oscar-winning director, it's not enough, I'm afraid, just to be a wonderful person. Verse 18, so the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership. Not a man in whom there might be some leadership gifts, we'll have to wait and see. Not a man in whom there is a little bit of leadership gifting, but what he's really good at is praying. Not a man in whom people identify a crippling lack of ability to take the lead in all and any situation, but he's very, very nice. But a man in whom there is the spirit of leadership. Joshua was chosen to be the leader of God's people because he was a leader. So what are you good at? Not perfect at not better at anyone else at, but what are you gifted at? What drives you, what are you excited by? What do you have the potential to be really, really good at? Invest in those gifts. If you can't sing, don't become a worship leader. But if you can and you love worship and you have leadership gifts, do all you can to become the greatest worship leader this world has ever seen. Take singing lessons, get as good at your craft as you possibly can, um, practice your instrument all the time, learn from other worship leaders and become brilliant. It will take work, don't be lazy. You see, humility is not a denial of our gifts. It is an acknowledgment of exactly what they are, gifts, and they are yours. God has given you gifts so that you can use your gifts, which are part of who you are, to serve him and to honor him and to glorify him. Um, I remember one particularly um, interesting conversation I had with a, a wonderful but very um, pious young worship leader, and he'd led some worship, and it was great great worship and I said to him afterwards that was really great worship leading thank you so much um that was really really a gift to us and he said it wasn't me it was Jesus Mm -hmm. and I said it wasn't that good (laughs) we do not have to deny who God made us to be own your gifts We just need to keep things in the right orientation. We are gifted by him, not for us, but for him and everyone else. So, um, be good at what you're going to do. Secondly, learn under someone. In uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 28, uh, we are introduced to Joshua, the son of Nun, who had been, we're told, Moses' aid since youth. Joshua was Moses' intern, learning to lead a whole people group under Moses. Samuel was Eli's intern, learning to hear the the voice of God and what it sounded like. Elisha was Elijah's intern, learning to perform miracles. Jesus had interns called disciples, learning to be like him and do like him. Barnabas trained Paul, Paul trained Timothy. Jesus says this in Luke 16, verse 12. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you your property of your own? Before you get to lead anything, particularly a ministry in church, and have your own vision, have you done the work of fulfilling someone else's vision? It is not hard to find people of vision. There are lots of people with lots of great ideas. Great ideas are actually a dime a dozen. Jesus doesn't ask, do you have a great vision or great ideas, rather he asks, have you been zealous in carrying out the vision and great ideas of someone else? What interning does, what learning under someone does is expands your vision. It prepares you for the road ahead. You see how someone else does it. That doesn't mean you give up your own vision. Rather, it means that your vision is then honed and complemented and directed in the light of theirs. The context has changed from when Moses was appointed to when Joshua is now appointed. The challenges for Joshua are going to be different to the challenges of Moses. And so undoubtedly, the gift mix of Joshua will not be the same that Moses had. But that doesn't mean that Joshua can't spend an awful lot of time learning from Moses. When we intern with someone, when we learn under someone, we do not become them, we just receive from them. We become better versions of ourselves, honing our particular gifts and vision in the light of someone else's. Your time will come. Learn the lessons now, it will be much easier to do that now rather than later. And finally, be intimate with God. Last week, I spoke about um, Exodus chapter 33. And in that chapter, we are actually first introduced to Joshua. It says this in uh, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. But his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Joshua was a man who did not want to leave the presence of God if he did not have to. He was one who prized intimacy with God. A while back, I was at a conference in London run by the people who um, first uh, created the Alpha course. And they were running the Alpha course, and they were doing a huge um, Alpha thing for people who didn't run the Alpha course, particularly uh, American megachurch pastors. Uh, And they were saying, come and have a look at Alpha, maybe you want to do it. And so all these megachurch pastors had come to the first night of Alpha. And this church is a pretty big church, but it does Alpha incredibly well. It's a secular city, London. They would have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and I'm not joking, not exaggerating, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to come to the first night, and they would run it three times a year. They would literally line around the block, people of, not of faith, people who are inquiring, people who are skeptical, lining the block on a Wednesday night to come to Alpha to hear about the Christian faith. And so they did it. It was, it was wonderful. And then there was a Q&A afterwards for um, American megachurch pastors and uh, this guy, Nicky, who um, ran the Alf Course. And uh, the megachurch pastors were going, I don't know why I was there, but I was. Uh, the megachurch pastors were going, that was amazing. I, I've never seen anything like that. incredible that all these people would come. Uh, you really are. It's very impressive. However when we were inside the building, we noticed that there was quite a bit of um, water damage in one of the walls, and the carpet was quite dirty. Uh, One of our values is excellence. And I don't really see how anyone would come to something that we did if the carpet was dirty and the wall had some water damage on it. And Nikki, who was very, very nice, said, "Um, that's interesting, I I have to say that um, one of our values is not excellence. Uh, One of our values is intimacy with God. And what I've learned is that young people particularly, but all people actually, what they're after is something real. And they can see through things that aren't real pretty quickly. What they're after is not excellence, but actually that God might be here. And the only way people will have that authentic experience of the real God is if actually he's underpinning everything. I thought it was quite an interesting response. If we build our leadership on the quality of our gifts only, on excellence, on human capacity, these foundations will never be strong enough. After all, what if fashions change and we're no longer what people want? But more importantly, if we just build our leadership on our gifts, people will see through them and wonder if there's anything underneath the surface. The presence of God, by contrast, is solid, authentic ground. I spoke earlier about some leaders who have abused their positions. There will be countless reasons why people need to be stepped down from leadership. But one thing is for sure, the closer and more intimate we can be with Jesus, the less likely we are to act contrary to his ways. The more you love someone, the more you are close with them, the more you are with them, the more you want to do as they do. And what intimacy leads to, ultimately, is more of the spirit in our lives. Verse 18, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership. Uh, if you are reading in your own Bible, you will see that there is a little footnote there, and it says the spirit could also be translated to the spirit with a capital letter. I think this um, double meaning is highly intended because Joshua doesn't just have natural gifts of leadership. He has supernatural gifts of leadership. He has the spiritual gift of leadership. He has the spirit and all his power coursing through him. Why is it that sometimes the same preacher can, on one occasion, be total fire and on another be a little bit limp? Why is it that sometimes we can pray and it's like we are actually touching heaven and we feel like we are praying God's thoughts after Him? We feel completely connected to Him. We can see everything like we can see the Matrix, and at other times it feels completely dead. It's because of the Spirit the only reason our sin can uh, stop the spirit our lack of openness can stop the spirit but when the spirit is flowing everything is potent and so if you are not full of the spirit you will not have the potency we are all individually gifted every single one of you and this is the wonder of god's kingdom. That whoever you are, there is a place for you to serve and to lead. Amongst other things, some are called to be teachers, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some apostles. But if you are not full of the Spirit, you will not have the power. Your teaching will be dry. Your prophecy could be impotent. Your evangelism, fruitless. Your care for people, graceless. And you'll not see the vision of the future or how to implement it. But with the Spirit, you can do extraordinary damage for the kingdom of God. Intimacy with God is where it all begins. And nothing is more important. Learn to be a person like Joshua who does not want to, if at all possible, leave the tent of meeting. Learn to be someone who thrives in the presence of God. Because when you're with God, that is when everything can be set on fire in the most beautiful, powerful way. And see how he'll use you. You will have so much fun. Amen. Amen.